Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 113 of Wrestle Life Radio. I'm your host, Micah Sin, here with my wife, Riley, and my dog, Samson. Say hello, Samson. He said hello. Did you hear him? I'm sure you did. He's not very talkative. His sister is, though. Anyways, we're here this week to review AEW. Kyle handled the Friday Night Smackdown review uh, on the Backlash preview, so be sure to check that out there. And a little bit later in the show, I'll be reviewing Raw, but right now we're talking about the best, I mean, the first show of the week, AEW. Are you excited? Yes. We're excited. We opened up the show with Chris Jericho joining in on commentary, which is always welcome. He's one of my favorites, and he's only been doing it for, I mean, he just jumped in during those pre-taped shows in Georgia like a couple months ago, and already he's, he's one of the best commentators I've ever heard. He's hilarious. He adds comedy to every show. We were actually discussing earlier in the week that this show kind of lacked a little bit of uh, comedy, but, I mean, Chris Jericho makes up for that every bit of the way, in my opinion. Uh, he's, he's, he's fantastic. Even with a four-person booth, it didn't even seem crowded. It was, it was just great. Uh, we open up the show with FTR's debut against The Butcher and The Blade. How did you feel about this match? Were you excited to finally see The Revival? I actually was. I think I remember telling you, like, I've never seen them in action before, but I've watched all of Being the Elite, and I've always been interested to see them wrestle just because of how much heat that they get in Being the Elite. Um, So I was excited about this match. Yeah. FTR. That's right. Uh, I've not been, like, totally on board with all the hype behind FTR. Uh, First of all, I think their name is stupid. Uh, Cash Wheeler and Dax Hardwood are dumb names. Uh, FTR is kind of a dumb tag team name, but uh, they kind of rushed the whole thing. In my opinion, uh, they could have settled on something better before they came in, but that's that's fine. Uh, I haven't actually seen them wrestle before, and I think I can pretty clearly say that after seeing them wrestle tonight, I I get it. Uh, They're very good. They're very technically sound tag team. They are for sure an old school style tag team. And they put on a really good show against the Butcher and the Blade. Uh, they came in on their truck. I guess that's their thing. Now they stole Cody's gimmick. Um, no barriers were harmed in this episode. Uh, the match opened up with Harwood and Blade. It's such a stupid name. Uh, they started out for their, each of their teams. Uh, you actually had a couple shots. I think it's worth mentioning, actually, when they came in, uh, one of them, I think it was the bald one, whichever that is, held up the four... <laughs> Of the yeah, four horsemen, like, Riley caught that. They did like a, I think they were doing like a peace sign or something, and then he changed it to a four, and I was like, oh, he is teasing it. They're teasing it, and uh, after that, they had some shots of Arn Anderson and Tully and Jake as well in the audience scouting out. Uh, I think it'd be curious to see maybe the Butcher and the Blade getting together with uh, Jake the Snake. That'd be, that'd be pretty pretty welcome in my opinion. I think Lance Archer and the Butcher and the Blade would be a fantastic pairing personally and i'm just waiting for the four horsemen i I really hope that's something they do uh anyways uh yeah i think ftr really showed off their technical technical ability this match uh they were able to keep the blade grounded with a series of holds and takedowns you know no flips just fist uh they traded tags they they actually you know they actually held the tag rope uh, as they're supposed to they hit a few double team moves Uh, the butcher came in to give his partner a breather they took control, 
there were a few antics by FTR. Um, actually, one of them. Again, I don't know which one's which because their names are just like really generic. Uh, he was feigning an injury, a uh, real heel move. Uh, but they kind of played the face in this match. But he 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 was feigning an injury and and allowed the ref to break him up and give him a breather. And then nope, here he comes back. Of course, you know it's old oldest trick in the book. Uh, but yeah, after. Both teams had a few close calls. FTR was able to score the win with the Shatter Machine, which I believe, what do they say they're calling it now? Shatter Machine was the name in WWE. I don't remember. I don't remember either. It was probably better than their actual in-ring names, though. So we'll we'll decide on that. Let us know on our social media about how wrong we are about what their finisher name was. It's the Shatter (laughs) Machine. Uh, I will say the butcher actually botched it a little bit. Uh, he's a big dude to do that move to, though. Uh, but they they still pulled it off and made it look mostly convincing. It was it was it was actually a, it was a good match, better than I expected. Uh, after the match, Tony Schiavone comes in to interview the winners, but being the heels that they are, the Young Bucks interrupt <laughs> and they make their way to the ring. They're congratulating them, air quotes, on their win. Uh, they thanked Harwood and Wheeler for saving them a few weeks ago. And the tone changed a little bit. They basically introduced themselves. Like I, I, they said, I don't know if I've actually had a chance to introduce myself. I'm Matt. This is my brother Nick. And I think they said we're the best tag team in the world. Was that what um, they said? I don't remember if they said that or not. But they were like, we've been carrying tag yeah. team wrestling for the past ten or so years, however many years it was. And he's like, it's nice to meet you. That was really good. Yeah, it was. Uh, it reminded me a lot of when he signs autographs in BTE. His whole delivery there. Yeah. But yeah, it was. It was a little, little tense. They're still brewing that feud, which will, I'm sure, fall out at maybe all out next all out. I think they're gonna hold it on for quite a while. Uh, but yeah, after that, the butcher and the blade attacked the young bucks again from behind. But FDR did step in again, and that that just kind of ensued into a huge brawl. It brought out Kenny Omega and stumbled out Adam Page with a drink in his hand, of course. Uh, just just good times. Reminds me of good times, Adam Page stumbling out there with a drink in his hand. Uh, the segment ended with the Bucks, FTR, and Kenny and Hangman staring each other down, basically in a, in a standoff. So I'm thinking we'll probably see FTR versus Kenny and Hangman before we see FTR versus the Bucks. I wouldn't entirely hate for FDR to take the titles off of Hangman and the Bucks, I guess. I don't know. And then have the, the Bucks and FTR feud for it. See where it goes. But yeah, uh, I think the whole the whole match, basically, the announcers were putting over FTR and the Butcher and the Blade pretty well. Everybody was really impressed by this match and by their ability. And yeah, I would I would give this match a thumbs up. Same. After that, we have another tag team match, one that seems very familiar. Chris Statlander, Hikaru Shida versus Penelope Ford and Nyla Rose. I will say at this point, it seems like AEW has like five people in their women's division. Like, right? They have Hikaru Shida, uh, Chris Statlander, Nyla Rose, and Penelope Ford, and the injured Britt Baker. Like, that's, that's pretty much it right now. Um, so maybe it's time to call up some of those independent wrestlers and sign them and and get them on your regular programming because it's getting a little thin. And as we'll see after this match, unfortunately, it gets a little thinner for the coming months. Rose and Ford attacked their opponents as soon as the ref called for the bell. 
uh, gave them an early advantage, but Statlander was able to turn the tables and brought Sheeta in for a couple of double-team combos. Uh, we had a break, and we returned to see Rose and Statlander both crawling to tag their partners. Sheeta and Ford had a great exchange as uh, Sheeta was able to start to build some momentum, and Chris Statlander actually hit a pretty nice standing moonsault for a two-count. Rose set up both opponents across the top rope, which is really cool. I've never seen this before. So, like... Chris Statlander and Sheeta were both like hanging over the top rope and she, Nyla Rose is on the top rope or on the term, top turnbuckle, I should say, and hit them both with a flying knee, which was a crazy move. And it looked extremely painful and very well executed. I think we've been seeing a lot of improvement from Nyla Rose since she's joined AEW well, and, and Penelope Ford as well, really. She's done that move before. Not against two people. Yeah, it was different because it was with two people, which was really interesting. The only problem I have with that particular move is that they have plenty of time to get off that rope. And they weren't dead enough to hang there for that long. That's just, that's the only nitpick I have there. Like, in my eyes. It's not as bad as, like, the dives to the outside, though, where they all, like, pull together. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a little, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit, I think. But there is worse in AEW, I think. Yeah. I'm just saying, that's just one thing yeah. to nitpick about it. Yeah, it's worth mentioning. Surprisingly, Penelope Ford was actually able to get the win. She she got the pin with a fisherman suplex, and I think this positions her as probably the next contender for the AEW women's title. Um, also, Chris Jericho mentioned that she was his pick for the next AEW championship uh, women's title. Maybe. I thought that was weird. Pick. Well, I know, but I thought that that was interesting because I don't know if he like has any behind the scenes type of thing or if he just said that. Um, he definitely has knowledge of behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, it, it could be. I think he was little... trying to put that in our ears because I think it's going to I would happen. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Sheeta versus Ford at Fighter Fest if they're building to that. I'm not sure that Ford will take it off of Sheeta. I don't think she should. I don't think she's quite ready. She definitely looked improved with this match, but yeah. I don't think she's there yet. They're definitely building it. Yeah, there were there were a few spots in this match that were like almost botched, but I think overall it was a pretty good match. Unfortunately, it came out about a week later. Um, Chris Statlander did a dive to the outside on Kip Sabian. Again, he's always got to be there with Penelope Ford, and it's kind of annoying, but that's just the way that it is. Uh, she did a dive to the outside on Kip Sabian and tore her ACL. And anyone who knows anything about sports or wrestling injuries, that is not a good one. Um, she's going to be out for quite some time, probably until next year, which is very unfortunate. Again, uh, AEW's tag t- uh, women's division is very thin. Not their tag team division. It's thick. Thicker than a snicker. But the women's division what? is just, just thin. They've got... Really three good competitors that I can think of after that. That's right, thicker than a snicker. Uh, <laughs> it, and, and again, Chris Statlander, she's fantastic. She's been gaining a lot of momentum. Really, really sad time to see her injured. We wish her all the best. Hope that she uh, recovers very quickly. And hope that she doesn't try to come back too soon. Uh, on her AEW Restricted uh, interview here recently, she was actually talking about a time she broke her foot and ended up cracking her cast like two or three times because she kept doing stuff on it. Like, she said, oh, it didn't hurt anymore, so I just kept doing stuff. She also mentioned she's been working out for three hours a day. That can't have helped her ACL. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but 
that's not normal. I don't think three to four hours a day of working out. That seems like too much. Um, three to four minutes for me would probably be too much, but <laughs> I think your body needs a little bit more rest than that. So hopefully she will get some time to recover. But yeah, I think we're building to Ford and Sheeta for the women's title at Fighter Fest, and I'm sure that will be a pretty good match. Uh, after this, we have the Best Friends versus the Inner Circle. And I still don't like it how they call it the Best Friends and Orange Cassidy. Like, why do they call it the Best Friends? Is he not one of the Best Friends? No. Is Chuck not. Taylor and Trent saying that Orange Cassidy is not one of their Best Friends? Is he excluded from this group? I feel like they're just not very good friends to Orange Cassidy. Uh, if they're not calling them as as a whole the best friends. No, uh, I disagree. It's not. He, I mean, he even has the same music. It's the but 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 but. It's because he doesn't care. He's Orange Cassidy. He's freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy. He was Orange Cassidy way before probably they were best friends. I don't know. It just seems like he's getting excluded from the group, and I want to see that happen to my boy Orange Cassidy. <laughs> No, I don't want to see what's about to ha- what we're about to talk about happen yeah. to my friend Orange Cassidy. You're about to be freshly squeezed, Orange Cassidy. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, this was a. I, I don't think this was a great match. Honestly, it was predictable. Uh, the inner circle attacked early. They got the upper hand. It took a few minutes, and Trip was able to bring in Chuck Taylor for a double team. Uh, Hager was Hager, and he just had a lot of power, and he took back control. Uh, they went to commercial. When we returned, Cassidy was finally able to make it to the apron because they attacked again before before the match started. So Cassidy's been out this entire time. It was a handicap match, basically. Uh, but did, little did they know it was about to be a handicap in the other way because Orange Cassidy's coming in the ring, the baddest man in professional wrestling, according um, to Chris Jericho. I don't remember who it was, but they went over to Cassidy and – took his sunglasses off or pushed them down or something. And that's what made Orange Cassidy like flop his hand over very like uncharismatically over the top rope and was like, all right, I'm ready to come in. Like I'm mad now. Yeah. I think it was Santana um, took his glasses off. That's one thing you don't do with Orange Cassidy. You don't mess with his friends and you don't take off his sunglasses. (laughs) That, that unleashes the beast, the baddest man in professional wrestling. Uh, Orange Cassidy managed to get the better of Hager before he hit Santana and Ortiz with a Hurricane Rana at the same time, which was ridiculous. Again, a little bit of suspension of disbelief, but very impressive move. I know Even, I definitely didn't have to suspend my disbelief. I know he can do that in real life. That was great. <laughs> well, this, it, it, this is real life. <laughs> uh, even Jericho was impressed with it, uh, how good Cassidy looked against the inner circle. Uh, yeah, Orange Cassidy actually managed to pin Ortiz. It was like a, it wasn't really a surprise roll up. It was like a crucifix pinning combination thing. Uh, yeah, the, the the best friends got the win. And Jericho then joined the inner circle to beat down the best friends. Not the best friends and Orange Cassidy. The best friends. Uh, it was this was a pretty good... Uh, I guess it was fun. It was a fun match, but it wasn't wasn't super good. Um, third tag team match in a row. Maybe the, match, the show could have been laid out a little bit better. Uh... The post-match beatdown is what we really need to talk about. So, what they did to my man Orange Cassidy is inhumane. It's unthinkable. They took Orange Cassidy and they beat him to a pulp with a literal bag of oranges. And that may sound really dumb because it is really dumb. 
But somehow Jericho actually managed to make it decently entertaining. But they had like these 20 pound, 30 pound bags of oranges. And it looked like it really hurt. Um, Orange Cassidy started bleeding out of his ear. Yeah, he was bleeding. I don't know what happened to him, but something impacted him inside of his head because he was bleeding out of his ear and I was really concerned. Yeah, I don't know if it like got a cut on his ear or what. You don't bleed on your ear um, unless you're like Mick Foley or something. You just rip it off. Um, he, then they were like squeezing the oranges out over Orange Cassidy's like lifeless body. And all this really builds to next week. The best friends are putting their number one contendership on the line against less sex gods, Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara, uh, for Fighter Fest, which is interesting. A lot of people don't understand why this is happening. Basically, uh, Tony Khan's explanation is that uh, best friends want to stand up for their best friend, Orange Cassidy. And the only way that Chris Jericho would agree to it is if they put their number one contendership on the line. And they're so sure that they can win, they were okay with doing that. I think that's a decent explanation. It's a lot better than we get from some other companies for random matches. So I'm not totally against it. I hope we don't see Best Friends lose their number one contendership. I think that through these uh, empty arena showings, they've earned it. I mean, they've earned the spot. So... I, I would I would like to see the best friends get the better of uh, Jericho and, and Guevara. I also want to mention I did not like the post match beatdown <clears throat> that much. I thought it was kind of funny at first, and then it was like it went on long. Yeah, it was it was kind of dragged out for me, and it was really gruesome. Like honestly, like as much as you can picture somebody beating up another person with a bag of oranges, gruesome. Like it was. It's like what is it made it painted the inner circle in a very very distasteful light. They I are the bad guys. Yeah, and and then they're supposed to be heels, and they've been kind of in this like comedic I guess role recently. Yeah. Um. But now, but this like really is like, I mean, it made me really hate them. I mean, they did like smash Nick Jackson's head with a garage door. That's true. Attempted murder, really, if we're being honest. And he was just writhing on the floor like her. <laughs> That's uh, not funny, guys. Okay, he was really injured. Attempted mur- murder is not funny. <laughs> he was at like 33% health for months. Uh, anyways, we're moving on to another inner circle match. Sammy Guevara versus Colt Cabana. And this match went the way I think it should. Um, you see Guevara come out. He's got his little scooter which he says is the hit-me-up mobile or something like that. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, and then Colt Cabana comes out and pushes it off the stage, and you would have thought you just shot Guevara's dog. I mean, he runs out, he's like, oh, no, my baby, and he, he picks it up and, <laughs> and coddles it and, and sits it back on the stage and then, and then slowly gets back in the ring. Uh, Cabana used his experience as a veteran to control a lot of the early moments of the match, but uh, Sammy was actually able to throw him out of the ring and hit him with a suicide dive using his superior athletics, and he actually even sent him into the barricade with a suicide dive. Uh, we return from the break and see Cabana starting to make a comeback. He's making a fury, flurry of strikes and even hits him with a bionic elbow, and it seems like he's got the answer for everything that Guevara did, uh, but Guevara was able to take advantage of a rare mistake from the veteran in that... Uh, 
Colt Cabana was trying to get uh, Sammy Guevara to the top rope, or top turnbuckle, I should say, and he slipped. And that little slip managed to give Guevara the upper hand, and he actually hit him with CM Punk's finisher, I believe, the go to sleep. And it put him to sleep, and Guevara got the win, one, two, three. It's really nice. We've been saying for months, Guevara does not get enough wins. And I think it's really good for him to get this big win on Dynamite. I think he needs it. Uh, and it furthers the storyline with Colt Cabana on the Dark Order. Um, as soon as the match was over, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson came out, which you haven't seen them in a while. And the entire Dark Order came out. You had Brody Lee. You had all the numbers, whatever they are. Uh, you had Alex Reynolds and John Silver, I think are their names. I uh, haven't seen much out of them. But uh, yeah, you had the whole Dark Order there in full force. It was pretty intimidating. I think it looked pretty nice to finally see them all together. I don't think we've seen Brody Lee with the Dark Order yet. So that was good to see. Um, yeah, uh, they came out and helped Cole Cabana to his feet and then walked out. Uh, Cabana didn't really know what to make of it. And after Cabana left, Matt Hardy came out. Guevara is standing, is on, gloating on the mic, and Matt Hardy's telling Guevara, you know, he respects him, and he feels like he's like Matt Hardy when he was younger. Uh, he then goes to say that he needs to really focus on what he's doing here, and he needs to leave Chris Jericho. And immediately, Guevara's like, no, 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 I don't want to hear any of this. I'm done. Uh, he starts going in on Hardy. Hardy ends up transitioning to his different gimmick. It was a little weird without the special effects and everything, but it was still good. It was pretty, pretty good little promo. I forget exactly how they ended this segment. Guevara ran away whenever Damascus came out, right? Didn't that what happened? Yeah, I think so. I think he got nervous there. I do want to mention, though, because um, the Dark Order, going back to the Cabana Dark Order thing. So there are two, like two, what do you call them? entrances mm -hmm. two tunnels two tunnels yes i was trying and um the dark order left out of the left tunnel and this was really good on cabana's part because he goes up to the tunnels like in the middle and he just kind of stands there and it, you can tell that he's thinking um because he his head moves from right to left like thinking okay which tunnel do i need to go down because they just basically keep offering him to for him to join the Dark Order. And you see him take a second, and then he's like, all right. He goes down the left tunnel, which is where the Dark Order went. So it's like, what does this mean? And the commentary was really good because they noticed this. Yeah. And they pointed that out like, what? Um, I'm pretty sure Tony Schiavone was the one who said um, he went down the left tunnel, the one that the Dark Order went down. Yeah. And I was like... Dang, they picked up on that. Um, but yeah, and then I don't know if it was before this next match or what, whenever he goes to the door mm -hmm. um, to, to the office. Doctor's trying to interview him. Yeah, and he's like, he just looks kind of, I don't know, like dazed like and confused. Out, yeah. yeah, it was really weird. And then he went into the office of the Dark Order. So um, I guess maybe we'll find out what that means next week. Yeah, I wouldn't entirely mind seeing him join the Dark Order, but then instantly regret it and then try to get out. I think that would be a pretty interesting storyline. I don't want to see Colt Cabana in the Dark Order like for good. That, yeah. that doesn't make sense to me. 
he's like a fun loving comedy guy. It would be And also he's had his weird. gimmick for so long, like it's him. I mean, there would be no need for It's him not a to yeah, change. it's not a gimmick, it's just him. It's yeah. Cole Cabana, it's Cole Cabana. I don't know that he's ever been a heel. He probably has. I don't know a whole lot about him, but as far as I've been following, he hasn't. And it'd just be kind of weird to see, but uh, we'll see where it goes. We then move on to the main event of the night, the TNT Championship. And uh, yeah, Cody's been having these matches every week, and it's really good to see some new talent come in. I say new talent, some young talent come in and uh, really be able to put their skills on display. This week, we have Cody versus Mark Quinn. Uh, Isaiah Cassidy and Hardy came out during Mark Quinn's entrance to show their support because I guess now we've got the Hardy party. Yeah, they kind of went into like this huddle, like, yeah, I mean, I guess an encouragement huddle or something. And then they left and then it was just Mark Quinn out there by himself. That's right, because he's a babyface and babyface don't bring people to the ring. (laughs) Cody, cough. Something's in the the air. Uh, They both shook hands before locking up because they're both good upstanding babyfaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this, this was mostly, in my opinion, a respectful match. Quinn looked really good in this match, better than I've ever seen. He he hit, I, don't, I can't go over the entire match, to be honest with you, it was a week ago, I don't remember the whole thing. But I will say, he hit a 450 from the top turnbuckle onto the ramp, which is only like two feet lower than the top turnbuckle. It was insane. Yeah. That alone makes me a Mark Quinn fan. i am not always been a huge fan of Private Party. I think their matches are a little bit choreographed for me, and they look a little bit more like ballet than they do professional wrestling. But that spot was crazy. And through this whole match, there was just some really good uh, chemistry, I think, between Cody and Quinn. Uh, maybe, I don't know how much singles action Quinn has uh, experience in, but it looked like he was more comfortable here than he was in tag team wrestling. It was a very good performance. In the end, Cody was able to get the win. He countered a 450 splash to get the win with a leg lock submission, which is interesting. He, he's went back to winning with submissions. I, I like that. I think we need more technical wrestling in AEW. I love... It was it was like a... He started in like an ankle lock, but it ended up in like a half F, STF kind of thing. Really cool looking submission. And uh, he was working over Quinn's leg the entire match. Because he had that um, ankle injury or something mm-hmm. a week or two prior. And he was, and Quinn was selling it like the whole yeah, entire time. Yeah, he was time. doing a really good, telling the, good job telling the story. Yeah, so Cody is still your TNT champion. After the match, who comes out but Jake Hager? Boo. Yeah, boo. Get off my TV. <laughs> uh, he, he attacks Cody and Arn Anderson. Uh, once Quinn had already left. And it looks like we know who's getting the next shot at the TNT title. Private Party and Hardy, the Hardy Private Party, <laughs> came out and made the save before the rest of the inner circle finally joined the fight, ended the show in a huge brawl, as AEW tends to do. And uh, they, they break apart, and the baddies are outside the ring, and the goodies are inside the ring, except for Cody. He's still inside the ring, unfortunately. And Cody says, Hager... What, what did he say? You know you know better than I do. <laughs> it was so dumb to me. I don't know why I didn't like it, guys. But he was just like, uh, oh, gosh, now I forget. Okay, he was like, Hager, I know what you want. You want a shot at the title white fighter or something like that. It was really stupid the way he said it. And yeah. it was like, what? It wasn't nearly as convincing as John Moxley's performance with Brody Lee. 
Also, my friend, I think she was watching it because she mentioned something like, like, what? How did he get that conclusion from all that? He might have just been mad um, I mean, about some Cody kind of is- sandwich or something that he stole or something and came out there and started meeting him up and everything. And then Cody just assumed that he wanted this big old title shot at Fighter Fest. Also, I don't want to see Hager versus Cody at Fighter Fest. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a good match. I haven't seen a single good Hager match. Any singles good hanger match in AEW? I mean, can you think of one that you've actually enjoyed? Mm. If it takes that long, you haven't. <laughs> I don't know. I know that Jericho's really hot on him and, and likes him, and I'm sure he's a great guy. He seems like a great guy. I want more Hager poetry. Please, I, I please, really please, enjoyed please. that <laughs> segment, but I haven't enjoyed any of his matches. I wouldn't tell that to him to his face though, because he would kill me. So I don't know. He seems like he has a pretty soft heart, considering his poetry. Yeah, his poetry is very soft-hearted. <laughs> that turns Talk about burying like... the bodies and <laughs> knowing where they sleep. That was yeah, so funny. That is your AEW show for this week. If you had to grade this show, how would you grade it? Oh gosh. Okay, so Matthew never goes to me first. Well, so that was really I did rude it of intentionally. You. Why? Why don't you go first? Nope, you have to go first. <laughs> okay. Um, nobody's here to protect you. I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, the whole Cody thing at the end, you want to, you want to shot at fighter. Like that was aggravating. Um, that was kind of a weird note to end it on. So I think I'm just going to do a B. That is exactly what I was thinking. I think this is a fairly average show. It had some good wrestling. I really enjoyed Mark Quinn versus Cody. It's my favorite Cody match in a while. Let's see what else happened. We had the. Orange Cassidy getting pulped. Sammy Guevara versus Colt Cabana was pretty good. The women's match was okay. Uh, FTR versus Butcher and the Blade was very good. I think it, it brings it around to a B. It wasn't a super eventful episode. It was a little bit filler. But, uh, hey, we got some good wrestling, and that's that's about all you can ask for. It was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. But we're going to take a quick break to pay the bills, and then Riley, unfortunately, has to leave us, and it's going to be just me for Raw. I'm not saying it's because she hates WWE, but it might be because she hates WWE. <laughs> we'll be right back, guys. Stay with us. All right, and we're back. I say we. It's actually just me. That's right. It's just me and you here for the rest of the show. We're gonna get. Uh, we're gonna get personal here. We're gonna talk about Raw. Uh, normally, Raw would be designated for Kyle or Matthew or or someone else, but yeah, I've been left alone here. I've been left out, uh, stranded. On, on the island that is WWE programming. And this may be the first time that I've actually reviewed uh, any WWE programming as far as going through the recap, and it's definitely the first time I've done it by myself. So we will see how this goes. It's just me and you. Let's do this together, and we'll figure out how we're, we're going to go along with this. We've got an actually a pretty good episode of Raw tonight. I'm going to run through it fairly quickly. I'm not going to make a one-hour-long review just solo like some other people on the podcast might. But uh, we'll, we'll try to keep this short. Uh, we open up the show with uh, Randy Orton. He's cutting a promo on his the uh, sorry the best wrestling match ever. Uh, I wasn't on the Backlash review. I will say I thought the match was pretty good. It was a bit over edited for my taste, but uh, it was it was definitely a, an enjoyable match. Not the best one ever though. Uh, they kind of kind of oversold it there, but better than I thought it would be. Uh, anyways, back to the segment. Randy Orton is talking about how he 
did exactly what he said he was going to do at Backlash. You know, he's he's finally feels like he gave Edge some closure, and uh, he did confirm. I don't know if uh, they said it on the Backlash review that Edge did suffer a torn tricep or multiple torn triceps. I'm not sure. Uh, and he's basically taking credit for doing what he said he was going to do and sending him home to be a husband and father instead of wrestling. Now, I don't know if uh, Matthew and Kyle discussed this, but Edge's injury actually wasn't during the match. Uh, It's now been released. It was actually during a reshoot of one of the moves. So maybe if they didn't so heavily edit the match, uh, maybe it would have been a little bit better, and we wouldn't have Edge leaving yet again for an extended period of time. It does bother me that Edge has been wrapped up in this Orton feud for so long because when Edge finally came back, I was excited to see Edge versus AJ Styles, uh, Edge versus Aleister Black, you know, some matches we'd never seen before. But it looks like he's going to be tied up with Orton and then he got injured and he's probably going to be tied up with Orton when he comes back. It's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I mean, how, how long do we have with Edge is my real concern. Uh, Edge versus Daniel Bryan. I mean, there's a lot of matches I would have loved to have seen. Anyways, Orton basically he's just going over the injury of edge and uh christian's music hits and i for one i love christian's music it's some of the best in wwe and he's coming out to confront the man who injured his best friend uh he called orton a few names and he basically reiterated that edge will not quit you know he's he's fighting he's gonna come back and uh yeah randy orton's just taunting christian uh, saying how he's always been jealous of Edge, and he just wants one more match for himself. And he offered him that chance tonight in an unsanctioned match. Those of you who don't know, uh, Christian had to retire in 2014 rather abruptly, similar to Edge, but not quite as grandiose. He didn't really get the send-off that I feel he deserved. Um, but Randy Orton did say he could have one more match and told him that the offer expired at the end of the night. Uh, this is a really good promo, in my opinion. A really good segment. Randy Orton, when he's great, he's he's great when he tries. And that's what everybody's always said. Um, he's been really good as a heel. I wish it was with somebody else. Um, I'm, I'm, like for, on one hand, I'm glad to see Christian back, but I'm not glad to see him back like this. I want him to do the thing Edge did. I want him to come back, you know, train, train get in really good shape. If he only has one match, even if it's a cinematic match, I don't know if he's actually going to get cleared. We'll get into that a little bit later. But if he were to get cleared and come back, I would really like to see him get a proper send-off. And I I don't want to see him come back in some kind of little gimmicky segment. But I I guess it's better than nothing. I don't know. I guess we'll see how this whole thing ends up. Maybe we get Orton versus Christian at SummerSlam. Uh, We'll see. After that, we go on to Kevin Owens versus Angel Garza. And before the match began, Angel Garza and Zelina Vega were being interviewed by Charlie Caruso. And Andrade wished Garza luck, but he looked like he was still upset about how Backlash turned out for him. Obviously, he did not uh, regain the title from Apollo Crews. Andrade didn't accompany Vega and uh, Angel Garza to the ring for his match against Kevin Owens, but he did show up after about a minute. Kevin Owens used the distraction to take control and corner Angel Garza for some strikes, and Owens ended up ripping Garza's pants off, which, hey, that's his thing. You can't do that for him. <laughs> you know, he usually does that himself. Yeah, it, it, it's not what it sounds like, I promise. 
Uh, Andrade and Garza then got into an argument at ringside, and Vega stormed off uh, as the show went to a break. I mean, it almost seemed like a mom just really upset that her kids are fighting. Uh, And then we had the commercial break, and then we come back and we see Andrade still at ringside, and Kevin Owens has still got the upper hand on Garza. Kevin Owens managed to hit a missile dropkick for a near fall, and uh, he kept Garza down with a submission until he managed to reach for the bottom rope. Uh, Andrade got on the apron, but it didn't stop Owens from hitting Angel Garza with a stunner for the win. Uh, after this, we see uh, Zelina Vega come back out, and she's basically berating her children, saying they need to work together. Uh, it didn't It didn't really seem to work, so I guess we're going to see a, a, an official breakup with Garza and Andrade here before too long. Uh, none of this is really that surprising to me. I really have liked them together. Um, I think Zelina Vega has been doing a very good job on these coronavirus episodes of WWE programming of kind of, you know, filling the show out. But uh, yeah, I would not be at all against Andrade versus Angel Garza at the next pay-per-view or maybe even on Raw. So we got that to look forward to. Bobby Lashley and MVP were out after the break to talk about the Almighty One's loss to Drew McIntyre at Backlash. Uh, MVP put the blame on Lana, which he should because it's 100% her fault. Uh, Lashley did not object. He said the WWE champion should give Bobby Lashley a rematch if he has any integrity at all. And I can't help but agree. I would, I would, I mean, as many times as WWE tends to have rematches, I think that's, that'd probably be a good one to have. I mean, let's get an actual finish to this feud. Of course, we then see Lana marching to the ring and she said that her on-screen husband was stupid for banning her from ringside in the first place. And then it was his fault. Uh, they then argued about who was to blame. And Bobby Lashley finally spoke up and said he wants a divorce. Uh, MVP also called Lana a thought, which was pretty hilarious in my opinion. And yeah, after all this kind of devolved, the crowd is chowning, is cheering, Jerry, 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 which I, I thought was pretty great. And I will say, it's worth mentioning, uh, one week Paul Heyman's been gone, and already the... What's the proper word here? Let's just say the Lana Lashley storyline appears to be at least finishing already. Yes, it's been hinted at for a while, but this was kind of Paul Heyman's baby. And for the many great things of Paul Heyman, this storyline was not one of them. I'll be glad to see it die. And honestly, who better for Bobby Lashley than MVP? He's been a great eh, Paul Heyman to MVP or to uh, Bobby Lashley's Brock Lesnar. MVP has been one of the best things about these uh, coronavirus shows as well here recently. Uh, really, really enjoying MVP. Glad that he was able to come out of retirement that he had for like that one week. After this, we have the Viking Prophets versus the Ninjas. That's right. You heard it. The Viking Prophets. Versus the ninjas. Yes, you saw the ninjas show up on Backlash. I, of course, thought they were a one-off thing just for a little bit of comic relief for the pay-per-view. But no, they're they're back. The ninjas are back. That's right. We had a eight-man tag team match. It was Akira Tozawa and his three masked ninjas versus the Viking Prophets. Yeah. This is what WWE programming is now. And for those that say that AEW is too comical, a little too goofy, come on, guys. You've got to, like, you got to see, right? It's, there's ninjas, and there's there's trash monsters, and 
I'm 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 not totally against it. If I'm being honest, I, I wrestling's not a serious thing for me. I can roll with it, but it's ninjas, guys, it's ninjas versus versus Vikings, and whatever the street profits are. Um, I don't, I don't know. It's it's this is WWE programming. Anyways, uh, we go to the match. One of the ninjas posed for a moment before Eric basically just destroyed him. Uh, Angela Dawkins was managed to tag in for the double team with the Viking, uh, and the, the, this giant ninja, uh, I thought it was Shaq, to be honest with you. This is just seven foot three. I think he is. He's actually a performance center recruit. His name is Jordan. I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, yeah, he's just standing there menacingly ringside. Um, but really let's just get to the end of this. The Viking prophet scored the win over the ninjas in less than two minutes. That's what really matters. Uh, Tazawa then brought the giant ninja. And first of all, if you're like, have you ever seen a seven foot three ninja? Ninjas are supposed to be stealthy. How is a seven foot three man going to be any kind of stealthy? I I don't get it. I uh, so the seven foot three ninja is in the ring, and then the Big Show's music hits. What? The Big Show's coming out as a face because I guess his new gimmick is that he changes alignments every time he's on the show he was a face and then a heel and then a face and a heel and then a face it's crazy that's the big show for you i guess i don't get it uh but yeah the big show helps him dispatch the entire group and uh tozawa and the big ninja left up the ramp i don't know this has been a weird weird just weird thing segment i guess you'd call it i guess maybe we're getting Jordan, whatever his last name is, versus The Big Show? I, I don't know. Maybe we're getting Akira Tozawa versus The Big Show. Who knows? Yeah. Just weird, guys. Just a weird, weird show. Uh, after that, we had a really good segment, in my opinion. Uh, Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio and also Dominic Guerrero. I mean, Dominic Mysterio. Uh, Rey Mysterio appeared on the big screen warning the Monday Night Messiah not to hurt his son, not to bring his son into this. Seth Rollins is claiming he wants to help Dominic, not hurt him. He said if Dominic wants to be part of the problem, he will be sacrificed. And uh, Ray basically promised to end Rollins if he or any of his goons touched his son. Yeah, just like he did Brock Lesnar. Just just like that. Anyways, I, I hated that entire feud. Basically, uh, Rollins is talking to Ray. He's like down on his knees like pleading with Ray for some reason. And sneaking behind him is the very large of the Mysterios, Dominic Mysterio. He attacks Seth Rollins from behind. He threw him into the steel steps. And he basically like avoided Murphy and Austin Theory like in like a Three Stooges just running around. It, honestly, the kid looked really good, in my opinion, uh, in avoiding them. I mean, yeah, it wasn't a match or anything, but he looked very athletic. And, like, he kind of knew what he was doing. So maybe before too long, we will actually get to see him work a match. Uh, maybe against Seth Rollins. I think that would be pretty good. Maybe even a tag match with Ray and Dominic versus Rollins and Murphy or Theory. Or even Murphy and Theory and then maybe Rollins afterwards. I can see how they could work this feud into getting Dominic in. I know he's been training for a little while now maybe they think he's ready for a match or maybe they're just bringing him in for this little one-off segment uh to get his name out there 
But yeah, this is a good segment. Uh, Seth Rollins is really, I, I, I'm liking the Monday Night Messiah character. I really am. His music's terrible. Music's awful. But he really is becoming a really good heel. And in this segment, he seemed to really get comfortable in his character. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that because face Seth Rollins was the worst. Uh, after that, we had the Iconics versus Liv Morgan and Natalia. The Iconics won. That's all there is to say about that. It uh, This was just filler. Uh, but after that, we had Apollo Crews and MVP backstage. And MVP is trying to recruit Apollo Crews. And for a little while, I know people were speculating that Apollo Crews would be recruited by MVP and they would start a little stable. But uh, Apollo Crews refused his offer and said that he's going to be a fighting champion and he does not need MVP. So bravo to Apollo Crews standing on his own two feet. But man, him and MVP would have really been good together. I would have liked to have seen MVP, Apollo Crews, and Lashley together. Would have been really interesting. Maybe we'll get it one day. But I'm not, not really holding my breath. Uh, this led into... Shelton Benjamin versus Apollo Crews. Uh, Shelton Benjamin cut a promo during his entrance. Uh, first of all, I should say, I guess it's good to see Shelton Benjamin on Raw programming again. He's way underutilized. I don't understand why he's been relegated to main event. He's, a, in my opinion, a, is a name that I grew up with and one of the most talented wrestlers probably on their roster. Uh, he should be doing more than he is, but that's that's the way it goes. Uh, ben, uh, Shelton Benjamin had control early in the match. He had a running knee in the corner on Apollo Crews. Uh, he managed to ground the champion with a headlock, but Crews fought his way out of it with a few strikes. They traded punches. Uh, Crews managed to hit a jumping kick and a standing moonsault for a near fall. And uh, Shelton Benjamin was actually, after that, caught cheating. He had a three count, but he put his legs up on the ropes to kind of leverage his way in the pin. And uh, the ref saw it, and that actually led into Apollo Crews rolling up Shelton Benjamin and cheating himself by holding the ropes for the three count. So a surprise roll-up win against Shelton Benjamin uh, and cheating. It, it's Some people would argue it's not really a face move, but hey, I mean, Shelton Benjamin pulled it out first, so no, no strikes against Apollo Crews in my opinion. Uh, it was a quick match, but it was, it was honestly pretty good. Neither one of them slowed down for the entire match. It was really smooth, uh, just as you would think a match between these two individuals would be. But yeah, I would I would say it's a pretty good little short match. We then had R-Truth and Drew McIntyre backstage with Bobby Lashley and MVP. And this was a pretty good little, little segment. R-Truth is great. He was on screen a lot this episode, uh, which is probably why I enjoyed this episode more than most. Uh, because R-Truth is one of the funniest guys in wrestling. Uh, Drew McIntyre as well is always good in his promo work. But yeah, it basically devolved into if R-Truth and Drew lost, they would both lose their titles. And needless to say, Drew McIntyre was not happy about this because he's putting his title in the fate of R-Truth. And I would not be happy about that either. Love you, R-Truth, but not known for your 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 winning streak with your titles. I mean, how many times have you lost a 24-7-7-11 title? Like 18, 19 times. I don't know. You said it this episode. I forget. But yeah, uh, we that lit, that eventually led into this match of Bobby Lashley and MVP versus Drew McIntyre and R-Truth. An odd tag team, but a welcome one. Uh, Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre started out the match. They locked up, began brawling in the corner. 
Bobby Lashley ended up hitting him in the throat to take control. And after that, uh, McIntyre began to make a comeback. Truth tagged himself in. He ran right into a suplex from MVP before Bobby Lashley threw him outside into the barricade. We then had a commercial break. Uh, Drew McIntyre was back in control. He drilled MVP with a future shock DDT, uh, but Lashley was able to break up the pin. Uh, Truth then sent Bobby Lashley into the steel steps while McIntyre hit the Claymore on MVP. And you got the one, two, three. Our Truth and Drew McIntyre defended their belts in a tag team match. So this whole stipulation is freaking weird, if I'm being honest. Um, first of all, nobody cares about the 24-7 title. I feel if, like if MVP and Bobby Lashley were to have gotten the 24-7 title in this match, they probably would have just thrown it in the bin and cared about the WWE title. But regardless, it's WWE. We got a pretty decent match out of this. I mean, it's fine from an in-ring perspective, at least. It didn't really do anything to further any storylines. Lana wasn't really involved, which I thought maybe she would be. Truth didn't cost McIntyre the title. MVP failed his client. I don't know. It was, I don't know how this really furthers anything. But I'm glad that McIntyre didn't lose his title in that stupid way. After that, Asuka and Nia Jax met for a rematch because Backlash was stupid. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but their match ended in a double countout. Uh, Yeah, on a pay-per-view for the title. Welcome to WWE programming, folks. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, they had a rematch. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't really want to talk about this match because I don't think it should have happened. I think that this feud should have ended at the pay-per-view, as pay-per-views tend to do. But they have pay-per-views every month, so they gotta they gotta stretch them out. It's not like there's any other women that could fight Asuka for her title. Nope, I can't think of any. Not a one. Asuka rolled up Nia Jax for the win. That's right. Surprise roll up. Uh, Jax was arguing with the ref about something. Oscar rolled her up. I don't know. Why, why do I have to watch this? Kyle, why am I having to watch this? No, really, I actually didn't enjoy most of this episode, but that that's just stupid to me. Uh, this is technically your main event of the evening. Because afterwards, we have... Chris, it's, so before I get to this, hold on, before I get to this, I think it's worth mentioning Ric Flair was here tonight for some reason. Uh, I don't know. They just brought a bunch of people back tonight. You had Ric Flair, Christian, Big Show. But there's no reason for Ric Flair to be there. He's just there. He had a little segment earlier in the show, and he's talking to Charlotte, and it was the most uncomfortable, poorly written segment. Asuka basically said, Asuka, oh my god. Charlotte basically said, Dad, you know how I am. Woo. It's not an exact quote, but the last part was right. She said, Dad, you know who I am. Woo. What? I don't know. <sighs> Ric Flair was trying was seen trying to talk Christian out of it, out of this unsanctioned match with Randy Orton. It's just weird. Big Show also tried to talk him out of it, and he had on like a karate gi. Is he a ninja now? I don't know. Oh, it's weird. WWE is weird, guys. Everybody says AEW is weird. WWE is weird. Earlier in the evening, Christian did, of course, accept Orton's challenge for an unsanctioned match to end the night. 
he didn't show up in tights and boots. He didn't have his gear. He was wearing his street clothes. He had athletic tape around his hands. Samojo called him a fool because he is a fool. He has not trained for this. He doesn't have gear. He's not ready. And he's going to face the person that just beat Edge in like a 40-minute long match. Bad idea, Christian. Bad idea. Uh, as the introductions are being made, Flair then comes out again to make one last plea to Christian. He said he talked to Edge. I, I guess. I don't Is he not recovering from surgery? Why is Ric Flair talking to Edge? I don't know. You would think that Edge has Christian's phone number. They're best friends. Whatever. Ric Flair said that Edge said he didn't have to do this, but Christian assured him he needed to because he's dumb. The bell rings. Christian gets hit with a low blow from Flair. Where is this going? What are they doing? Is Evolution coming back? Are we going to get Batista and Randy Orton and and Flair and and Triple H against Edge and Christian and and Gangrel or what what are we what are we doing? What are we doing? Why is Flair First of all, why is Flair involved, especially with all the things we know now about this taping? What Why is Flair here? I I don't understand. Why did he low blow him? Again, I don't understand. He just walked away. Uh, Orton then hit Christian with a punt, looking remorseful after doing it, but he just carefully rolled Christian over and covered him for the pin. One, two, three. There's Christian's glorious return to WWE, his one last match, uh, supposedly. Uh, but yeah, as, as the end of the show drew near, it became more and more clear this was not going to be an epic fight that everybody was hoping for. This wasn't going to be a great match. There was only like five minutes left when they made their interest in, so obviously this is going to be a quick thing. Uh, I guess it's the best they could do with it. I don't know. Christian can't have a full match, I guess. He's not cleared, supposedly. I don't know what to believe. And having him use as a sacrifice, I guess, adds a new layer to the story, and they can draw it out now that Edge is injured. But I don't know how, how long is the tricep injury going to take Edge out. I mean, he's 40-something years old. He's not been wrestling in nine years. He just had surgery. I mean, I don't know. The one redeeming factor of this segment was Orton was just great. He really was. He's apologizing to Christian. After it's all over, he's saying he never wanted to hurt him. Randy Orton still blamed him for what happened, though. Uh, but the way he did it was surprising. Uh, he kind of went back to what he was saying in the beginning of this feud. You know, he didn't want to do this. Uh, he's doing it for Edge's good. It's kind of going back into the unstable Randy Orton gimmick, which is welcomed by me. But yeah, with Edge injured and Christian unable to do anything, I guess Orton's going to need a new rival for the coming months. So it's curious to see what they bring in. Maybe we'll see some intergender matches with Beth Phoenix uh, in WWE. That's that's probably not going to happen. Let's be honest. Uh, but yeah, I would I would love to see Orton against some new talent. But yeah, I think Orton's been really great. I would love to see him against some new talent. I think he's been building himself as a very good heel. If he continues to try, I think he can put on some really good matches and uh, some really good promo work. And hopefully, it's not just against some of his best friends. But yeah, that was Raw for the night. Sorry, it's a little unorthodox. It probably wasn't the best review you've ever heard in the world, but I, I don't, I don't watch the show. If I'm being honest with you, I, I I watch AEW, and I watch AEW Dark, and I watch BTE, and then and then I stop stop watching wrestling. Um, it's 
It's not always good. Actually, this week, this week was pretty good in my opinion of Raw. Maybe I should start watching it. What do you think? Let us know on all of our social media. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at WrestleLife Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at WrestleLifePod. And yeah, I would give this episode of Raw, I guess I'd give it a B plus on the Raw scale of things. You had some really good matches. You had a lot of R-Truth. You had a lot of Randy Orton. You had some Christian sprinkled in there. His music alone, I think, bumps it up a letter grade. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty good episode. I still don't like the three-hour format of Raw. I think it's too long, especially in our current situation. Everything going on kind of spoiled this Raw for me a little bit. But uh, it is what it is. And you know what? Next week, we're going to have Raw again. And we'll be here to review it for you. Again, check us out on our social media, Instagram and Facebook, Wrestle Life Radio, Twitter at Wrestle Life Pod. I am your host for the week, Micah Sin. Be sure to check us out next week. Hopefully we'll have the whole gang back together and we can review AEW, SmackDown, and Raw. But really, we know you just come for AEW. Let's be honest. I'm an AEW mark. I'm not even trying to hide it. That has been your episode for this week. I think it's episode 113. That is a lot of episodes for us to be churning out for y'all. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for staying engaged with us through social media. And uh, yeah, come back next week. And I hope you all have an absolutely wonderful day. Did I do it right, Matthew? Is that is that what I'm supposed to say? Absolutely. I think that's absolutely what I'm supposed to say. Absolutely. See ya.